Today, we're taking a one-week break from our series on the lives of Isaac and Jacob so that we can talk about why home groups are so important here at Grace Church. Now, many of you are already in home groups, and you're getting the benefit of being in a home group, but many of you are not. Maybe you're, you're new here, maybe you've been here for a while, but it just hasn't worked out yet. So what I want to do this morning is to show you from God's Word why home groups are so important to us here at Grace Church. And I'm praying, we're praying that God will use this to stir many of you to say, this is an investment of time, it's going to cost some, but the rewards will be completely worth it. That's where praying will happen this morning. But before we open up God's Word, I want to give you an illustration to, to set the stage for what this passage is going to talk about. And I want you to think about it like this. God has created a unique habitat for every animal in the, in the animal kingdom. They each have their own unique habitat. So take frogs, for example. Okay? Frogs have a very unique habitat created by God. Frogs have skin that doesn't hold water in very well, so they need a pond with lots of water, and they need shady vegetation around that pond to shade them from the sun, because if there's no water and if there's no shade, they will dry up and die. They also need the pond and the water to protect them from predators. The pond and water are also helpful because, and the vegetation because that attracts like flies and bugs and slugs, and that just they eat to their heart's content there. But the water can't be running too fast because otherwise they'd be swimming all the time and could never rest. And the water has to be warm, but not too hot and not too cold. Okay, so this is very important. All these details of this habitat that God has created, the perfect habitat for frogs. So think of a frog in this warm, still pond with lots of vegetation, shade from the sun, zapping flies and bugs and slugs. Okay, that, that frog is going to be not just surviving, but thriving in that setting. But now if you take that same frog and move him from that shady pond to an Abu Dhabi desert in the summer, the picture will be very different that frog will not thrive, that frog will not survive, that frog will die. Because each animal needs to be in the unique habitat God has created for it. And just as God has created a unique habitat for each of the animals, God has created a unique habitat for followers of Jesus. It's called the church a local church. And in God's word, he describes what necessary components need to be in this habitat so we believers will not just survive, but will thrive. And this morning, I want to talk about one neglected aspect of this habitat. One aspect of this habitat that's easy for us to overlook, easy for us to get too busy for in church life. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So let's turn there together. Book of Hebrews, a little bit of background about this book. Hebrews was written around between the years 60 and 70 years after Christ was born, 60, 70 AD. And it was written to a group of believers who were suffering persecution. Some of them had been imprisoned for their faith, and they were facing temptation to fall away from God, to drift back into sin, to turn away from Christ. 
And in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul mentions a part of church life that they were neglecting. Look at what Paul, not Paul, I don't know, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Look at what the author of Hebrews wrote. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now what is God calling us to do? Look at those first three words. Take care brothers. Now you could think that because Paul uses that word brothers, that he's just talking to men. That's not the case. This word brothers in the Greek language at this time in history was used generically to describe both men and women, both brothers and sisters in in the family of God. So Paul's talking to everyone in the body of Christ. He'd be addressing, I keep saying Paul, God, he'd he'd be addressing all of us in the body of Christ here. And what the author is calling all of us to do is to take care, which means there's something we need to be alert to. There's some danger that he wants to point out to us that we could easily overlook or ignore. There's a danger he wants to be aware of that we take care concerning. I thought back years ago when when Jan and I were first married, we wanted a backpacking trip with my mom and my dad and my oldest sister and her husband. This was in the Sierra Mountains in California in the U.S. And um, we decided to depart from the well-traveled path and take a much less-traveled path. It's called going cross-country because it was a shortcut over a pass. And so we're heading up this pass, and the higher we got, the steeper it got. And at one point, my brother-in-law said, be careful, if anybody falls here, it's all over for you. He was trying to encourage us anyway, so, but the point was that um, we were paying very careful attention. We couldn't walk along that path just like it was wide and going through a meadow. We were rocks and careful and making sure not to slip. We needed to be care, take care, be careful, because there was a danger. There was a risk we needed to be aware of. That's what the author is calling us to do. Take care, brothers and sisters. There's a danger I want you to be aware of. So what is this danger? He describes it in two ways, one in verse 12 and one in verse 13. Start with verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a terrible danger he's describing here. He wants us to understand that even though we've been saved by Jesus Christ through faith in what he did on the cross, even though we've been saved by faith, there is still sin remaining in us. He has saved us, but he hasn't taken all of our sin away. He's changed our hearts. He's given us faith in Christ. He's given us, so we changed hearts. We love Jesus more than anything else but not all the sins removed. There's still a sin in each of our hearts. So understand that. There is sin in your heart still. 
Now, God is progressively weakening that and removing that throughout our life, but it will not all be removed until we enter heaven. And then it will be removed completely, forever, freed from sin. But now, between now and heaven, you still have sin in your heart. It's crucial that we understand this. And this sin in our hearts wants to work up evil unbelief in your heart. It wants to produce evil unbelief in your heart. The sin in you is constantly trying to fill your heart with evil unbelief so that it can make you fall away from the living God. So you have sin in your heart, and right now it's growing, trying to stretch, trying to spread, trying to infiltrate your heart with evil unbelief because its goal is to make you fall away from God. Take care. That's in your heart. Now, don't misunderstand what the author is saying. Even though this is what sin wants to do to you, because God has saved you, God is not going to let that happen. I love that song we've been singing, He Will Hold Me Fast. Because God has saved you, God will not let that happen. You have sin in you which is exceedingly dangerous. But when God saved you, He did a number of amazing things, but two of them are he changed your heart so that you pay heed to the danger of sin in you. You're taking heed, you're you're cautious, you're aware of of the danger. And secondly, you're using the weapons that God has given you, which he promises will conquer that sin. So when he saved you, two things were put into your heart. Awareness of the danger of sin. You're not playing games, you're not casual about sin, you're blood earnest aware of what sin could do, and in your heart you love to use the weapons God has given you, which he promises to use to overcome sin, which means that because of what God has done in saving you, you will not fall away. You'll pay heed to the danger, and you'll use the weapons. And what this means is we need to understand what the danger is. Do you understand the danger of the sin in your hearts? Or have you been letting that sin gain ground? Have you been casual about that sin? Have you been playing footsie, we say in the U.S. sometimes, with that sin? We must understand the danger. The sin in our hearts wants to fill our hearts with evil unbelief with the goal of making us fall away from God. That's what sin is trying to do. So sin makes you want to be filled with unbelief. Some examples. Sin wants to make you believe that Jesus' blood cannot cover every sin. The sin in you would love to have you plunged under a cloud of guilt and draw you away from God in that way. Sin wants to make you believe that Jesus will not satisfy you more than sin. Constant battle we're fighting. Sin wants to make you believe that God will not right every wrong. So you should linger in bitterness and unforgiveness and maybe even bring harm to someone who's hurt you. Sin wants to make you believe that heaven's joys will not far outweigh the trials and the sorrows of this life. Sin wants to make you believe that God does not answer prayer, so you become prayerless. And sin's goal in all of this is to fill your heart with evil and belief to make you fall away from the living God. So feel the danger you're facing. That's one way the danger is described. Second way it's described is in verse 13. Look at what the author says. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
So not only does sin want to, does sin want to fill us with unbelief so we fall away from God, sin wants to deceive us so our hearts become hardened. Now this is even more frightening if you stop to think about it. It would be frightening if, if someone told you there's someone here in Abu Dhabi who wants to kill you. That would sober you, right? But it'd be worse if, if they said, and it's one of your friends who is deceiving you thinking that they're your friend. Whoa! See how that makes it worse? See, when we're deceived, we think something's true, and it's not true. We think something's real, and it's not real. We, we think something's safe, and it's not safe. That's what sin tries to do. Sin wants to deceive you so you think something is true, real, safe, when it's not. For example, sin wants to deceive us into making us think all religions basically teach the same thing. Jesus was a good example. It's not that important, though. Let's not be divisive. That's deception. It's deception. Sin wants to make us think that your trials mean God does not love you. Some of you maybe have thought that this past week. That is deception that's coming from your own sin in your heart. It's deception. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Not trials, not nothing. Okay? Sin wants to deceive us that God, God can't strengthen you enough to overcome that sin. That temptation's just too strong. No way God can help you with that one. That's a lie. That's deception. Sin wants to deceive us that you can keep on sinning willfully without any confession and still end up in heaven. That's a lie. Now, Jesus is always there with his arms open wide. When you confess and return, he's running towards you. He loves you. He will forgive you and cleanse you. Turn back to him. All the forgiveness you need is there. But if you don't confess and if you keep on sinning willfully, the book of Hebrews warns us, we can't do that and still go to heaven, which shows we were never saved to begin with. One other deception I want to mention, that, that sin's pleasures are all satisfying and God's pleasures are puny, wimpy. See, these are all deceptions. And notice in verse 13, when sin deceives you, the result is that our hearts get hardened. In fact, one of the ways you can tell when you've been deceived is that your heart has become hard towards God. Your, your love for God is no longer tender and warm. Your affection for Jesus isn't real and genuine. You're, you're lukewarm now towards Jesus. You're you're lacking affection towards God. When that's happening, when your heart's becoming hard, there's deception that's been stirred in your heart by sin. You're in a dangerous place, is what the author of Hebrews would want us to understand. So that's the danger we all face, described in verse 12 in one way, in verse 13 in another way. We have sin in us, which wants to fill our hearts with evil and belief, so we fall away from God. We have sin in us, which wants to deceive us about the truth, so our hearts become hard toward God. And the author of Hebrews is saying, take care, be alert, red alert, warning. I mean, think about being in your, in your home this afternoon or this evening. You know, you're enjoying dinner together, be watching something on TV, having some casual conversation, calling a friend on the, flo a friend on the phone. So think of your afternoon, your evening at home, but think of how different your afternoon, evening would be if a neighbor said, I saw a poisonous snake out in front of your house and it slithered in the front door. It's in your house somewhere. Would your afternoon or evening be different? 
slightly, a lot, okay? How do you respond to the fact that there's sin? Do you understand that there is something far more dangerous than a poisonous snake? It's sin in you, remaining sin, which wants to fill you with unbelief so you fall away from God, wants to deceive your heart so you become hard toward God. Are you alert? Do you realize that there's danger? I hope you do. That's what the author of Hebrews is calling us to. Now remember, we don't need to be afraid, though. We can be alert, but we don't need to be afraid. Because even though this is what sin wants to do, because God has saved you, God will not let that happen. God has changed your heart, so you see the danger. You're owning up to it right now. You can tell your heart's been changed, because as you hear this passage, the Holy Spirit's stirring you like, take care, this is true, red alert, red alert. So that shows you're saved because you're paying heed to this. And you're committed to using the weapons God has given you to fight against sin. So you're alert, but you're not fearful, right? Do you understand how you can be alert to something and not be afraid of it? So don't be afraid. If you're afraid of this, you're missing the passage. If you're not alert, you're missing the passage too. Be alert, but don't be afraid. And in this passage then, the author gives us one weapon we can use which will protect our brothers and sisters from their sin. A weapon we can use which will protect them from the remaining sin in their hearts. So what is this weapon? How can we help our brothers and sisters avoid this danger? Look at verse 13 again. It's the command right there. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we keep others from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? By exhorting each other day after day. How do we keep each other from having evil hearts of unbelief, leading to falling away from the living God? Exhorting them day by day. This is the weapon that we can use which will protect our brothers and sisters from their remaining sin, from the sin that is still indwelling them. Now, this word exhort has a broad range of meaning. It can mean encourage. It can mean appeal. It can mean comfort. It's a broad range. Um, I, I've memorized this verse in the New American Standard, which uses the word encourage, so I'll probably slip back into using the word encourage here. But just understand, exhort, encourage, appeal, um, comfort. There's lots of broad range of words. So what are some ways that we could encourage each other? I just wanted to list some tangible, practical ways. You could encourage someone by sharing 1 John 1.9 with them. If they're under a cloud of guilt because of their sin, open up the book of 1 John. Read chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all of our sins, past, present, and future, when we confess forgiven. So we can think of the encouragement that would bring to someone. We can encourage someone by praying for them, God, that God will strengthen them, maybe laying hands on them, just pleading, God, strengthen my sister, strengthen my brother, strengthen their hope in you during this trial that they're going through. We can encourage someone by, by weeping with them and sharing with them in, in their grief, and then speaking the comfort of Christ to them, his love for them, his being with them through this trial. We can encourage someone by, by listening to them, listening as, as we, they describe the struggle they're having so we can learn that's going on. So we, and then God, 
What scriptures can I share? How can I strengthen their faith through this? But by listening well is a crucial part of, of this command. We can encourage someone by sharing Psalm 1611, one of, one of our favorite verses here at Grace Church, where God says, David says to God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forever. I've been thinking recently that God is all we need, any of us. I need, you need. And I think Ben prayed this, maybe it was Kristen that prayed this this morning. God is all you need to be overflowing with joy. You don't need anything else. You don't need that thing that you've been jealous about or been fearful about. You can pray for it. God may give it to you, but you don't need that. You can be full of joy. Anyway, okay, that's Psalm 1611. Share that with somebody. You could encourage someone by correcting them. Um, brother, sexual sin, what you're doing, the Bible says that sexual sin, it's wrong. Let me show you here. Correcting them, that's a part of this. By showing someone John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. All religions do not teach the same thing. God has given us a way to be completely forgiven by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You need to trust him. Okay, so that's, that's some ways that we can encourage. But notice that we're to do this, how often? Did you catch that? Every day. Every day. I checked the Greek. The Greek says every day, okay? <laughs> Not just Friday mornings. Not just Friday mornings and, and home group night. Every day. Every day. Now, why does he say every day as long as it is still called today? What does that mean? Brief explanation. Earlier in this chapter, he quotes from Psalm 95, and it's a reference back to that psalm. The point is that the battle against sin is not over until Jesus comes back. Until Jesus comes back, it's still a day of battle, a day where we need to be saved from, from the battle, in, in the battle against sin. So every day until Jesus comes back, we need to be encouraging each other. Okay? Has Jesus come back yet? Just quiz time, church. The, the correct answer is no. Let's try that again. Has Jesus come back yet? So what do we need to be doing every day? Exhorting, encouraging, appealing. Okay, you got it. That's the lesson. We need to encourage each other every day because every day our brothers and sisters' sin is trying to fill their hearts with evil and belief. Every day, sin in our brothers and sisters is trying to make them fall away from the living God. Every day, Sin is in them trying to deceive them. Every day, sin is in them trying to harden their hearts. Sin never takes a day off. Seven days a week, 24-7, sin is trying to do this in the hearts of, of our brothers and sisters. And that's why we need to encourage them every day. Because when we encourage them every day, God will use our encouragement to thwart sin's power and to protect our brothers and sisters. Now that raises another Another question. Why is it so important that we help each other avoid these dangers? The author's already given us, you know, take care, here's the dangers, but he wants to drive this point home even more clearly in verse 14. Why is it so important? Notice that verse 14 starts with the word for. It could also be translated because, or in other words, here's the reason. What this means is, we're supposed to take care, we're supposed to encourage each other, we're supposed to exhort each other because, or for, here's the reason why, verse 14, we have come 
to share in Christ if, underline that word, we, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now notice first of all how the author describes being saved. I love this description. When you're saved, you come to share in Christ. When you were saved, that moment when you turned from your sin and and put your trust in Jesus, God gave Jesus to you at that point. You received Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became yours. All that God promises to be to you in Christ became yours at that moment. I couldn't resist. I had to make a list of some of what this meant, just so you get this, okay? This means that you've received Jesus as your payment for all your sins. You have that sacrifice for all your sins. He is that to you. Your perfect righteousness before God, what qualifies you before God is not how good you've been. It's how righteous Jesus was, and you're connected to his righteousness by faith, so you're good. You see that? Your powerful redeemer, that's who Jesus is. He can free you from any temptation by the overwhelming joy he gives you in himself, which is better than any joy sin offers. He's your comfort in trials. He's your perfect guide. He's your faithful provider. He's your guarantee of resurrection from the dead. You've come to share in Christ. You have Christ as yours. That's what happened when you were saved. And now notice what verse 14 says. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, if you read that carefully, you notice that that does not mean that if we don't hold our confidence firm to the end, it means we lost our salvation. It's not what it's saying. You can't lose your salvation. What it's saying is that if we don't hold our confidence firm to the end, we never became sharers in Christ. We never had salvation. Do you see that in the passage? Okay, look at it again. Let's read it again. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's not saying if you lose your hold on Christ, that shows that you've lost your salvation. He's saying if you lose your hold in Christ, that shows that you never were a sharer in Christ. Now let me explain why. When God saves someone, when he saved you, he promised that he would keep your confidence firm all the way to the end. I mean, here you're standing here at the beginning of your Christian life, There's heaven, here's the road to heaven, lots of difficulties, lots of trials. How are you going to keep going? God says, I'll keep you going. I will. Trust me. You're not strong enough. I will do it. So we, okay, I'm going to be in heaven. God's promised. God keeps his promises. That's what God says. He promises to keep our confidence from all the way to the end. He will not let anything make you fall away. But the way God does this, or one of the ways God does this, is by giving you the habitat where you'll be receiving encouragement every day, putting you in a habitat where you're encouraging others every day, because God has changed your heart so that when a brother walks up to you and brings you an exhortation or an encouragement, God's changed your heart so you say, yes, yes, sexual sin's wrong, what am I thinking? Or, yes, God will be with me through this trial. Or, yes, my sins can be forgiven through the cross. Yes, he'll keep me all the way to the end. God has given you a heart that's alert to the danger 
And he's given you a heart that pays heed to the encouragement. And that's one of the ways that, that God will keep you all the way to the end because he, he's put you in the perfect environment. On this road, there's brothers and sisters on each side saying, go, you can do it. Here's the truth. That's deception. Don't turn there. Keep going. And your heart's just saying, yes, yes, yes. And that's one of the ways that God keeps you going all the way to the end. That's what this passage is teaching. So let's get real specific. I, I want you to think now about a believer that you know, maybe somebody here in this room, um, somebody sitting in front of you, next to you, behind you. Just think of the concrete believer in your mind right now. Have, have them in your mind. So do you have them in your mind now, somebody? Okay, got them? God wants us to understand two truths. That person has come to share in Christ if they hold fast the beginning of their assurance, firm to the end, the beginning of their confidence, firm to the end. Oh, it's, that means it's really important that they hold their confidence firm to the end, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, here's the second truth. God will use your encouragement to keep them in their assurance, confidence firm until the end. God will use your encouragement to keep them firm in their confidence all the way to the end. See how that works? And what that means is that our encouragement of our brothers and sisters is of incredible importance. You feel that from this passage. Eternity is at stake. You can't lose your salvation. And one of the reasons is because God has ordained that you will pay heed to the brothers and sisters encouraging you. And God has worked in your heart so that when you read this, you'll understand you need encouragement from brothers and sisters on a regular basis as well. And you'll pay heed to that encouragement. That's why we will make it all the way to the end because this is the habitat that God has created for us in the church. Let me give you two examples. Let's say there's a brother who's had a hard day and uh, you call him as he's on his way home from work. He says, it's been a terrible day. I'm going to go out and get drunk. Goodbye. Talk to you later. He laughs and hangs up the phone. Okay. And what's happening with this brother wants to go out and get drunk. The Bible's very clear. Getting drunk is sin. That's not the way you're going to find the peace you're looking for. That's not the way you're going to find the heart fullness you're craving. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Okay? Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You're looking for perfect peace? It's in Jesus Christ. It's trusting him. So that brother, he's being deceived, right? Sin's being hardened. He's thinking, this is where that peace is going to come from? That's deception. That's a lie. His heart's being filled with evil unbelief. He's not trusting God's promise to meet him, no matter what level of hard day he's had. He's trusting lies. He's, he's moving towards falling away from the living God. That's what's going on with this brother. But now because he's been saved, God will use your encouragement to wake him up, shake him up, bring him back. Because his heart's been changed, he will pay heed to your encouragement, which gives you encouragement to, I'm going to call him back. God help me. What do I say? Brother, I love you. I'm at the foot of the cross with you. You're being deceived. It's unbelief. You're moving towards falling away from the living God. Jesus is standing before you with all the peace, the comfort, the heartfulness that you need. Can we get together and talk and pray some? Because God's saved that brother, his heart's changed so he'll say, yes. That's how it works. And your encouragement has, has kept him on the road to heaven. You see how that works? 
Another example. Say there's a sister who's angry and hasn't forgiven someone and isn't going to forgive someone. And, and the sister's telling you about this person did this and then they did this and there's no way in the world I could ever forgive them. I'd be a, I'd be a wimp if I forgave them for doing this. And I'm going to do this to them. I'm going to do this to them. And you know, this person's being deceived. She's being deceived. Her heart's filling with unbelief. She's in danger of having her heart become hard. She's in danger of not holding fast her confidence firm to the end. That's what's going on here. But because she's been saved, God is going to use your encouragement to strengthen her, to wake her up, to bring her back. And so you might say, you know, can we talk about this some more? I know you're angry. I understand that this person wronged you terribly, but, but let, let's talk about what Jesus says about this. He says, because he's forgiven you, we have received so much in him that our hearts can be overflowing so we forgive others no matter what they've done to us. And right now, by what you're saying, it's clear you're not thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about what this person has done to you. You've forgotten about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. And because God has saved this woman, her heart will pay heed to the encouragement. She will hear. She will listen. She will respond. And your encouragement will have kept her hold fast, not let her firm, not let her grip grow weak, all the way to the end, God will have used your encouragement to do that. So see, what this means is that our encouragement of each other is essential. John Piper likes to say that eternal security, that is our eternal security, knowing that forever we are secure, God's going to keep us, eternal security is a community effort. It's a group project. That's how God's ordained the church to function. Your brothers and sisters need your encouragement to keep them on the road so they don't fall away, to keep their, their original hold of assurance firm to the end. And you need the encouragement of your brothers and sisters to keep your trust in Christ firm to the end. Your brothers and sisters need your encouragement. You need their encouragement. We need each other's encouragement that's the point of this passage. And I want you to feel that eternity is at stake here. See, encouragement isn't just to make other people feel better. Encouragement is to keep other people from falling away. Encouragement isn't just to keep people out of discouragement. Encouragement is to keep people out of hell. Eternity is at stake in our encouragement of each other. That's what these verses teach us. So a crucial part of our habitat as believers is mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement. Your brothers and sisters need your encouragement. You need their encouragement. <laughs> and as I thought about this, this just showed me how, how another facet of God's love for us. I mean, think of how loving and kind God is. The most clear picture of God's love is what he's done in giving us Jesus, right? I mean, we had sinned against God, turned our backs on him, decided we want to live our own way, thank you, not interested in you. That sin deserves eternal punishment. And God, at great cost to himself, sent his son Jesus to be born of a virgin, grow up, to die on the cross, and he paid for the sins of everyone who would trust him. And so when you put your trust in Jesus, you are completely forgiven, reconciled to God. You have eternity. God's going to keep you all the way to the end. You're, going to, you're guaranteed heaven. All of his love in the meantime 
That's the most clear picture of God's love is Jesus and the cross. But look at this aspect of, God, of God's love. Look at how at the habitat he's created for you. He's created an environment of mutual encouragement. He's created the local church where when you walk into a church of Jesus Christ, people start encouraging you every day. I mean, how often does that happen out in the world? I mean, you go months without anybody encouraging you out in the world, right? You walk into a church, people are, how's it going? How are you doing? Check out this verse, right? Every day, people are encouraging you. And then you're having opportunities where, you, I guess I could do that too. You start encouraging them, and that's the, the habitat God has created for us, a community of mutual encouragement, and he's given that to us because he loves us, because he's going to keep us all the way to the end, and this is one of the ways he's going to keep us all the way to the end. So next question, last question. How are we going to structure Grace Church for this kind of community? How are we going to do that? Remember, it's essential that we give and receive encouragement. This is one way God keeps us from, from falling away. And so every church has to wrestle with, how are we going to structure so that we have mutual encouragement, so that everyone here is getting encouragement every day and everyone has opportunities to give encouragement every day? How are we going to do that? Every church has to wrestle with that. And one way, or the way we've decided to do this is by having what we call home groups, separate from Friday morning. Friday morning's just too big. If we said, now we're going to take the next two hours and we're all going to mutually encourage each other, I mean, not only will that take hours and hours and hours and hours, um, but we wouldn't do, be doing it every day. So we've, we've formed home groups, which are groups of 10 to 20 individuals who meet together once a week, different nights of the week, and they meet together to pray, to encourage each other. They meet together to study God's word. They meet together to encourage each other in evangelism, do some training. They plan evangelistic outreaches, and they worship Jesus Christ together. That's, that's what our home groups do. And our home groups are seeking to be communities of mutual encouragement. Now, I don't want to oversell this. Our home groups are not perfect. Okay, there's no guarantee that immediately you start going to home group and, and phone calls coming in all the time. We're, we're working on that, okay? In fact, let me just say, if you're thinking, you know, I'm not getting daily encouragement here. Well, okay, we're, we're, we're working on this, but here's what I think I would encourage you to do. You start encouraging other people in your home group. You call them up. You ask someone how they're doing, they will learn from you. Okay, so again, we're growing in this. We're stronger in this now than we were a year ago and stronger than the year before. We still are growing. We have more growing to do, but this is what we're seeking to do. You will experience being encouraged by others, and you will have opportunities to encourage others in the home groups. Now, we have seven home groups right now that are led by seven wonderful teams of leaders. And what I want, not all of our leaders are here, but I want to go over these and we're going to start top right at All Reef and kind of wrap around this way. And I want to introduce the home group leaders to you. So first of all, the All Reef home group led by Leonard and Christelle Murphy. Leonard and Christelle, stand up. There they are. Yay! Okay. Two, uh, meeting on Monday evenings at 7. Okay. And then the Khalifa City One home group. Oh, nice. Okay, the Khalifa City One home group led by Luke and Lorna Ibrahim. Yes. Tuesdays at 7, all right, okay? And then the Khalifa City 2 home group, which is led by N.A. and Lore. N.A. is in India working. Lore, are you here this morning? Back in the back, yes, excellent, okay? Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, right? 
Lorraine, no change there. Okay, very good. <laughs> Mohammed bin Zayed City Home Group, led by my wife Jan and me. <laughs> All right. Seven o'clock Tuesdays. Officers Club Home Group, led by Graham and Sim Humphrey. Sim, are you in? Sim's back there. Graham's working this morning. And that's Wednesday nights at seven still. Okay. Youth Home Group, led by Kat Yambao and Kyle Germain. Kat's up here. Kyle's back in the crutches in the back. All right. Thursdays at 6, okay? And then the Ream Islands Home Group, led by Emmanuel Abu and Ray Broyden. Ray's in New Zealand, I think. Emmanuel's right there. Monday evening, 7 o'clock, Emmanuel. Is that what it says? Did I get it right? 7? Okay, good. Now, what I want to urge you to do if you're not in a home group is to do all you can to be part of a home group. We want to make a special emphasis on this today because, again, this is a neglected part of church life for, for many believers, and it's, it's a dangerous part to neglect. Now, a couple questions. What if, what if you think, well, but my, my work schedule doesn't fit any of these times. What should I do? We are working on having home groups meeting at different times. We'd love to have some meeting on the weekends. We're still, but right now they're all in these days. So you may be working out in the oil fields during the week can't make it. You may be a pilot whose schedule is, is erratic. What if your schedule doesn't fit any of these time slots? First of all, to be part of a home group doesn't mean you're committing to being there every single week. Just be there when you can. I mean, do all you can to be there, but we understand things come up. But I would encourage you to talk to the home group leader who lives closest to you. Share with that home group leader your desire to be part of the group and say you'd like to be there as much as you can Ask, is there like maybe a men's discipleship group that meets at a time when I could meet or a women's discipleship group that meets at a time that would work for me? God has a way for you to start getting connected and to start building relationships so that flow of encouragement can start to happen. So don't let your schedule get in the way. Don't wait until your schedule changes or don't wait until we get some weekend home groups. Get involved in one now would be my encouragement. What if you have young children at home and this just isn't a season that works very well? I mean, you know how it is. You got little kids, come home, pack everybody in the car, head out to a home group. They, then you come home, they get, get to bed late. Next day's a disaster. You know how that is, the season with young kids. What should you do? We would encourage you to alternate as husband and wife in terms of when you go. Maybe the wife goes the first week. Kids stay at home, play night with dad. That's fun, okay? And then next week, the husband goes, the father goes. Play night with mom. Okay? And that way you, you still are getting more encouragement than you would be getting if you did nothing. Plus then you can talk together, house home group tonight, tell me what you learned, and then you can talk and share about that. What if you're absolutely exhausted at the end of the day when, when the home group is supposed to meet? Hey, how many of you notice that home group night you always feel more exhausted than, than, than at other times? Okay? Okay, it's a common malware. Anyway, let me give you a challenge. I want to challenge you to try an experiment, to try this just once. Okay? Just once. Home group night, when you're feeling totally exhausted, like there's no way I could ever go, I'm whipped, maybe next week, when you're, all that's going in your mind, say, nope, I'm going to go tonight and say, Father, strengthen me tonight through the home group. Revive me, encourage me, strengthen me, and then go. And then on the way home, ask yourself, am I more energized now than I would be if I would have stayed at home? You will be. I've had that happen again and again and again and again and again and again. So don't let weariness get in the way. What if you say, you know, I'm a mature Christian. I've been walking with the Lord for years. All I need is just a solid sermon on Friday mornings and some good worship and song with God's people, and I'm good to go. 
What's the answer to that? My wife just said it. You're deceived. <laughs> we laugh. It's true. It is true. You need encouragement from brothers and sisters. And honestly, if you think you don't, you are in a dangerous place. And other brothers and sisters need encouragement from you. No believer is so mature they don't need what God has laid church out to be. Okay? What if you say, home group just isn't me. I'm not, I'm not a people person. Some people just love to get together in small groups and talk. I, I'm shy. I'm, I'm timid. Um, I, I understand. Some people are more extroverts than others. I get that. But I would encourage you, pray and ask God, God, help me. This is what you say in your word. You will help me grow in this. I'm going to take a step of obedience by faith. Help me to be more comfortable. Help me to be able to open up more. Help me to be able to share more, encourage more, receive encouragement more. Don't let anything hold you back. Now, this week, we're going to be doing something special in our home groups. Each home group is going to take the first 15 minutes and just have coffee and cookies or something along those lines um, so that there can be time where you can mingle and get to know other people. So it's, it's going to be easier to get to know people and easier to visit this week. You can visit any week you want to, but we want to make it especially accessible this week. So this week, visit the group, whatever group is closest to you. Do all you can to do that. And, and again, why? This isn't because, okay, this is the church wants to push a particular program. This is, this is life. This is vital according to what the author of Hebrews has told us in Hebrews chapter 3. One of the ways that God keeps your brothers and sisters from falling away is through your encouragement of them. God wants you to have some brothers and sisters that you are committed to encouraging. And one of the ways God keeps you from falling away is by you receiving encouragement from brothers and sisters. This is vitally important. Every church has to figure out, how are we going to do this? We think home groups is one of the best ways to do it. So This is crucial. Now, now think again about, about the frog in, in its habitat. Think about the, the frog in its habitat. If all you do is come on Fridays and receive the, the word preached and, and the, the worship in song, and you go throughout the week without receiving any encouragement from others or giving any encouragement to others, you're like a frog in a pond that's like drying up. Maybe the vegetation's gone and the sun is beating down upon you. Maybe you're out in the desert. You're not in a good habitat. You're in a dangerous place. And so as your pastor, I want to urge you, do all you can to be part of a home group. Do all you can to have relationships where you are receiving encouragement regularly and giving encouragement regularly. If you come Fridays and are part of a home group, again, our home groups are, are growing in this. We're not perfect. But let me put it this way anyway. You'll be like a frog on a lily pad beautiful warm pond, shady, flies buzzing, tongue zapping, eating, thriving, not just surviving, but thriving. That's what we long for you. That's how God has created church to be. So do all you can to be part of a home group. All right, let's stand together. I'll pray this over us. First of all, Father, I praise you for your love for us 
in making the church be a place of mutual encouragement, mutual exhortation, mutual comfort and love and support. Thank you, Lord, for creating that as the habitat that you want believers to be in because that will make us thrive and grow. So we thank you. Thank you for this passage which is so clear on the importance of receiving encouragement and giving encouragement. And so, Father, I pray that you would touch every heart here and that because of this time this morning, all of us would be more engaged in mutual encouragement with brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would open the door, stir the hearts, do whatever is needed for more to become engaged in home groups so they can give that encouragement and receive that encouragement for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray too for anyone here who's not yet trusting Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that through what they've heard here and seen here, that they've seen your love in Christ, that they've seen that they can be forgiven for all their sins, that they can receive a new heart, that this all comes by trusting Jesus, not by being good enough, but by trusting Christ. Lord, save people right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, let's worship.